0: did have one little bit of more good news I wanted to share with you. You may not have noticed, but it is officially vest season again. <laughs> but I got too warm, so, and I didn't want to be too shiny on the screen, so I had to get rid of it this morning. We've been looking at Daniel, uh, especially working, looking at the first six uh, chapters, and just kind of looking at the life of Daniel as he lives there in Babylon captured and really seems to thrive in captivity. He thrives living in the most evil city maybe ever in history of the world under one of the most evil kings that ever existed. And so we're kind of using that as uh, a as, uh, guidance for us to to think about thriving in Babylon which is very much the culture in which we live in today and not just hanging in there not just surviving but actually having thriving and and we've been just for some definition sakes we've been talking about what we mean by thriving and that is having and maintaining a flourishing relationship with God is that Daniel is is his relationship with the Lord is very tight Uh, And it grows in this captivity, it grows in this evil city. it's interesting, although he lives in an evil city, and although he serves an evil king and works in the court (laughs) of this evil king, his relationship with the Lord doesn't diminish but actually gets stronger. And, And as we live in a time that becomes less and less Christian, less and less like Jesus, I think we need to have the same kind of mindsets that Daniel had so that we too can have this thriving, flourishing relationship with God, even though the place where we live around us is evil. And so we've been looking at the different mindsets. The first one that Daniel had was that, that uh, trusting in God's sovereignty, that God is aware of what's going on, that God's working in situations, that he has us where he wants us, and we are here, uh, as maybe Queen Esther would have said, you know, for such a time as this, that this is, this is where we're at, and we're to flourish and grow where we're at. The second thing that Daniel had was a really vibrant hope, and it, it was a living hope. It was an active hope. It wasn't just a feeling that, man, I hope things work out well, but no, it, was, it, it guided his action. It was, it was a hope that he acted on. It, it helped him understand how to live and how to react and, and how to handle situations because of this really strong hope in who God was. Today, we're going to look at the third mindset that, that Daniel had, and it was a, a mindset of true humility. Uh, and this may be one of the strongest keys for us to live in this world um, and, and really growing close to God. Because understand this, in order to have and maintain a flourishing relationship with God, we need to develop traits that God values. We need to be the kind of people that God likes. <laughs> we need to be attractive to God's eyes. We need to, we need to uh, develop in our lives things that God goes, that matters to me. <laughs> And uh, and so the first thing we got to understand is that God admires, likes, values, takes notice of things that uh, things that matter to Him, and the things that matter to God aren't the things that matter to the world. Um, we must understand that the economy of heaven, the things that have value in heaven, are basically upside down and backwards to the economy of the world in which we live. Uh, humility being one of the things humility is not one of those things that we really work hard to teach our kids to have. you know we teach them to be assertive we teach them to be strong we teach them to be competitive we teach them to do their best and work hard and and you know have a good reputation and and we teach them all these other things but and, and the world values those strong brash you know kind of alpha leaders and we value all the success and all these other things but the economy of heaven is well if you want to be first in heaven you need to be last if you want to be the greatest in heaven you need to serve everybody if you want to be popular in heaven well you need to be humble (laughs) and so the economy of things that God values are opposite of what much of what we live in this world And so we have to intentionally develop the values of heaven if we're going to have them Daniel had developed these traits many of these traits in heaven's economy and one of those traits that Daniel seems to have quite a bit of and I think as God appreciated and improved and then scripture is going to back out that much of what Daniel was able to we would call accomplish was because he was rewarded to God for his humility because God took notice of him because he was humble and so let me give you a definition a kind of a working definition a little a little Cute saying for just to remember humility. I, I like this one. I heard this some time ago, and it is stuck with me. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. You know, and and really, when you you see Daniel in these first six chapters, he doesn't think about himself very much. He doesn't talk much about himself, even when he's praying to God for the for the interpretation of the dream. He's doing that. His motivation is the the one of the the servants to the king is coming to kill all, kill all the wise men, all the pagan people. <laughs> he, the, Nebuchadnezzar's about to behead them all. And Daniel's like, maybe God will tell me the dream so that they will all be saved. He was one of those who would be saved, but he seems to be really focused and motivated by all the other people, the pagans, people, those who would ridicule him, those who make fun of his God, those who he, he would uh, believe differently than him. He's motivated by caring for them. And so we see Daniel being very, very uh, focused on other people; that he thinks of himself very little. I'm going to give you some more examples because I really want to get to the application part. So I'm going to try to hurry through the hurry through the first part uh, and looking at some of these biblical things, so we can get to the application because that's at the end, and I think that's really powerful for us today. But I want to take some time and just look at some of the examples of Daniel's humility. Uh, the first one comes from Daniel chapter two. Uh, Verses 25 through 30. Um, Is that where we're at? Yep. Then Ariot brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Balthazar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I've seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No, wise men enchanters magicians or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he's made known to the king to king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days your dream and the visions of your head or as you lay in bed are these to you O king as you lay in bed came thoughts that would be after this and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than any all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So the first thing Daniel does, he gets this vision. He, he, he's, he's, God reveals to Daniel the dream that Nebuchadnezzar is having as well as the interpretation. And he goes in to talk to the king, and the, and the king goes, So, can you do what no other person can do? You, you can tell me the dream and its interpretation. And Daniel's response is, What you're asking, no man can do, including me. He actually goes on to say, Look, It's just been revealed to me. I'm not wiser than anybody. I'm not special than anybody. God is just, the living God has just shown me something to tell you. And it's all about you. God wants you to know this. It's a really humbling experience. I mean, he could have really worked that, like, yeah, I'm smarter than everybody. You know, I know the real God. None of these guys know anything. You probably should get rid of them, and, you know, I'll be enough for you. He really plays that down and gives God the credit and the glory, the honor. He says, it's just been revealed to me so that you can know. Because God's really what, trying to tell you something, and I'm just kind of the messenger. Uh, I'm a nobody uh, in that thing. And so what Daniel is able to tell us, where did my, going back. Where am I? Can you show me the Daniel knew where and who the real power came from? There you go. That's where we're supposed to be. And so what we see in that is is the humility of Daniel to recognize where and really who the real power came from. And if we are living under God and have this relationship with God, I can tell you that God has got tasks for you to do. And you can do them not because you can do them. You can do them because of who sent you to do them. (laughs) That he will empower you, he will enable you, he will give you what you need in the moment that you need it to perform the task that he has. And, and so, when we are serving God, we must be humble under that understanding that God has me here for whatever purpose he's got me here, and he's gonna give me what I need to get it done. that he, when we recognize who and where the real power comes from God, that helps us put ourselves under God. And we see Daniel doing that. Uh, another example in Daniel chapter 4. Uh, starting with uh, verse 19. Well, actually, this is just verse 19. This is actually in the NIV. It translates it a little bit better, I think. It helps me understand it a little bit better. Then Daniel, also called Balthazar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Balthazar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you, Balthazar. Answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies... And it's meaning to your adversaries. This is when Daniel had the understanding about the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about a cow and that he was going to end up kind of losing his mind and feeding out in the field for a while. And Daniel, again, was given the interpretation of this dream. And he was a little bit alarmed because he didn't want to have to tell Nebuchadnezzar the bad news. And he's like, you know, I think Nebuchadnezzar had a a reputation of being a little hot-headed. And he's like, so i got to go in and tell this evil, angry man. You're going to lose your mind to eat grass like a cow. <laughs> like, man, I, I hope he don't kill the messenger. And, and we looked at that last week when Daniel's hope, when he, when he was having to hope in man, it got a little bit shaky. He didn't trust people as well. Uh, but we see in this, what but Daniel was saying, here's this evil king. And he goes, I wish this dream was about anybody but you. I wish this wasn't about, I wish this wasn't going to happen to you, O king evil king Nebuchadnezzar and, and I just want you to realize the humility that Daniel had and, and think about this for ourselves Daniel did not relish the destruction of his enemy this is the guy who destroyed Jerusalem captured Daniel his buddies and, and took them to a foreign land enslaved them away from their family and instead of going ha, ha, you're finally getting what you deserve old guy I knew it was coming and some, sooner or later, God was going to put you in your place. Daniel's saying, I wish this wasn't happening to you. I'm sorry that this is happening to you. I wish this was against your enemies, O king, and not against you. That, that he seems to truly care about evil King Nebuchadnezzar. That's, that's an amazing, humbling thought. Instead of, being, instead of relishing the victory over his quote-unquote enemy, He's got compassion and care. He actually at one point instructs Nebuchadnezzar, repent, stop doing the evil things you're doing, and maybe God will be merciful on you. He actually gives him instructions on how to escape the wrath of God instead of saying, have at him. Would we treat our enemy that way? Those that we that have treated us wrong, that we've detested, those that, that we stand against, would would we serve them that well? Would we really be compassionate about them? I think one of the other examples of Daniel is not only does Daniel serve Nebuchadnezzar well, he ends up serving three pagan kings well. Serves Nebuchadnezzar, his son, Nebuchadnezzar's son, and then ultimately he serves King Darius. All pagan kings, all Men who would set themselves up as gods. Men who would, who would ask the world to pray to them, don't worry about the God in heaven, I'm the God on earth and, and, and focus on me. These were people who were not just evil, they were opposed to Daniel's God. And Daniel serves them faithfully. He's the best servant in their kingdoms. He's honest with them and cares for them and is is compassionate. And, And so as Daniel serves three pagans well, as Daniel served the pagans well in his society, we have to ask ourselves, would we? Would we really serve those who would be in opposition to our God? Or do we want to be in opposition to them? Do we want to see their destruction? Do we want to see them get what they deserve? Are we against them more than we serve them? Daniel, the humility to serve these pagans with truth and honesty and with everything he had is quite amazing. He puts himself under their leadership and follows and serves them well. Truly a humble man. In fact, humility may actually be one of the themes of the entire book of Daniel because that's what God is actually trying to teach King Nebuchadnezzar. In that whole dream about Nebuchadnezzar being, you know, losing his mind and going to feed for a season out in the cow as a cow and eating the grass and all that kind of stuff. This is what it says in Daniel chapter 4 verse 37. It says this is Daniel's this is Nebuchadnezzar after that time he comes to his senses. He gets he gets his mind back. And here's what Nebuchadnezzar says. It says now I Nebuchadnezzar praise And extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Even me, King Nebuchadnezzar. That, That one of the great lessons that God is concerned about teaching this great evil king is that, yeah, you're big on earth, but I'm bigger. And you can be humbled by me. And it's a hard lesson that Nebuchadnezzar learns. And I don't know that he ever really comes to understand who God is, but he does come to understand that God's bigger than him and that humility is something that God can easily put on someone. And so that's at least some of the examples of Daniel living in humility. The theme of the book, one of the themes of the book would be learning humility under God. And so I want to just kind of give you some verses. If you have the sermon notes, you have a whole list of verses. You can read them this week. I just want to hit on a few of these that kind of show that God highly values humility. Of the traits we could develop, humility may be one of the most important ones for us to think about because God highly values humility. From Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. I'm just going to read you a couple of these. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness and patience bearing with one another if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you so also you must forgive so there you have a whole list of things that the economy of heaven values kindness humility meekness patience and forgiveness bearing with one another proverbs three thirty four says towards the scorners he is scornful but to the humble He gives favor. Again, Proverbs 22, 4 says, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor of life. Psalm 149, 4, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Micah 6, 8, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And then maybe the best example out there from John 13 verse 14 this is Jesus. He says if you then if I then your lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. That humility is one of the things that that God highly values. So Talking about this concept of humility, this, you know, it's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. I just want to talk about two other misconceptions I think that people have when it comes to humility before we get to the really living a humble life, what that might look like. One of the misconceptions I think we, we often have about humility is, is this, and say it, being truly humble does not mean being a pushover. And we we think about well if I'm humble you know I just I'm just kind of a weak flower, and I just you know I just give in to everything and and I, I no, Daniel was truly humble, but he was able also truly be sta- courageous and take very strong and definite stands on the things he believed in. He was no pushover for sure. He stood for what he believed in. He knew what he believed in. He held to that faith, and he was willing to pay the price for that faith. He would stand and stand courageously. And just because he was humble didn't mean that he was a pushover and gave in to everything the king wanted. He served the king well. He, he, he honored the king as much as he could. He, he served God well, and he stood, took a stand. So you can take a stand. You can be bold. You can be courageous. But humility means we take a stand rightly. We, we're, we take, we're bold and we're courageous. We're but we're not brash and arrogant. We, we, don't, we don't revel the, you know, that kind of, well, I'm going to tell them what I think. No, you do it in a humble, caring, honest, courageous, forthright kind of way. But you're not brag about it. You know, I gave them a piece of my mind. No, that's arrogance. That's being brash. That's being boastful. That's not standing in humility. Stand strong, stand firm, be like Jesus who took his stand and said nothing, but everybody knew where he was standing. He didn't give in to the days. He didn't uh, answer his victims. He didn't even need to answer to, to, to those who were accusing him. He stood strongly, but he did it with humility. So being humble doesn't mean you're a pushover. Also, being truly humble doesn't mean you're dishonest about your abilities, right, Daniel was truthful. He's like this knowledge has been given to me. It's you know I'm not smarter than anybody else necessarily but this has been given to me so I can tell you. You know and sometimes we we feign humility. You're like, "Oh, stop it. I'm not that good." You know, oh. Uh, I got lucky, you know. Yeah I, yeah, I can I can do that, or I can do this, or or, or whatever. And, and when people praise you for your abilities, we we often feign humility, like, yeah, that's no big deal. Well, no, some of you are really smart. Some of you, like Connie, are really talented, right? You, she can paint. We all admire that. And how silly would it be for Connie to go, oh, I just got lucky. I just threw some paint up there, and it just turned into this beautiful thing. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. You know, but that's we feign humility sometimes. Uh, we, act, we want to act like we're less than we know that we are. And, and, and I think in truthfulness, being humble is saying, Yeah, the Lord's blessed me. The Lord's given me a talent or ability. The Lord's put me in a position that I have influence. So whatever it is, be honest about that. Recognize where the power comes from. You can be honest about that. Don't, don't feign it because when we feign humility, all that really is is backwards, back, backwards bragging. Instead of saying, you know, how good I am, we, we try to draw attention to ourselves by acting like we're much less than we are. And it's really just a backwards way of bragging about yourself. And so just be honest about your ability and where it comes from, what you can do. I'll do my best. I, I think I can handle that. You know, I, I've got some confidence, I've had some training, the Lord's provided this for me or that for me or whatever, and be truthful and honest about that. But don't, don't act like you're less than you are because God's made you what you are. He's given you what you have and wants you to use it for his service. And acting like less than that is denying where it comes from. So we can be humble. Being humble doesn't mean we're a pushover or that we have to really be dishonest about what abilities we have. Now, here's what I really wanted to get to. What's it look like? living humbly in Babylon I got five kind of statements I want to make to you that might blow your mind a little bit I hope they do I hope they challenge us I hope they I hope they humiliate us because now when y'all go out and tweet that today preacher said he wanted to humiliate us humiliation is the process of becoming more humble And that's where we need to get. This is what God values. And for us to become more humble, we need to be humiliated. And so here's five humbling, humiliating statements for us to wrestle with in our minds. If we're going to live in Babylon as humble people like Daniel did in his Babylon, we need to kind of check our mind and check our thinking, check our attitudes a little bit to make sure they're humble. Number one, expect, even allow, those who don't follow Jesus To act like they don't follow Jesus. We're kind of surprised or we act surprised. You know, we got a world full of people not following Jesus. And we're like, do you see what they did? Like, yeah, well, what do you expect them to do? They don't follow Jesus. They don't act like they follow Jesus. We need to expect that and maybe even allow it. Right to say, this is what we expect of you. This is this is what I'm, this is my expectation of a non-follower of Jesus. Why did those guys connect, uh, kidnap those Christians? Because they don't follow Jesus. That's what non-followers do. They take the world into their own hands because they don't have hope. They don't have a God that they think is aware of what's going on in the world and, and is uh, working in the world. They, they don't have the humility. They take control of their own life. And so the world acts like it doesn't follow Jesus. And sometimes we act like we expect more out of them than we do us. I actually had a kid one time tell me, he's like, I don't know why you're fussing with me about cussing. I'm not a follower, I don't follow Jesus. I'm not a Christian. Why do you expect me to, why do you expect something out of me? And I was like, that's a good question. Why would I expect you to act differently than you are? And, and he just up front told me, I'm not a Christian. Don't expect me to act like one. That's pretty humbling. Because it requires us to, to, to be humble, to be around people who upset us. Who we got to put up with them. We got to ultimately love them. Those who make us feel uncomfortable, those who think, do things that we maybe even detest or certainly don't approve of, we got to be around those people and care for them. Whose lifestyle we may not even approve of, or we and it, it hurts us inside. But we've got to have the humility to say, "But I'm exactly where I need to be in your life because you need some light, and I'm going to bring it. And if I if I pull away from you." then you're not going to have any light. Matthew 9, 11, interestingly enough, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees, the religious people, are all upset about Jesus eating with these people. What's he doing around them? Same different paths, different uh, gospel, same problem. And Jesus goes on, it's not the sick who needs the doctor. Or it's not the well who needs a doctor, it's the sick. And sick people, they got germs. And we need to be around them. Expect that. Here's another troubling thought I think would require us, if we're going to live humbly in Babylon, is we need to recognize that non-Christians are not our enemy. They're victims of our enemy. Think about that. We often treat non-Christians as our enemy, and they're not. We have one enemy, Satan himself, and he's deceived, and he's, deli- he's lied to, and he's destroyed a lot of people's lives, and they're not the enemy. He is. They're victims of our enemy. Imagine this scene. Some morning, somebody, while we're having church, gets mugged on the sidewalk, gets stabbed. Stabbed. And they come running into our church for sanctuary because they just got mugged on the street out there. And they're stabbed. And they're bleeding all over the place. And would we like, hey, you need to stop that. You're getting blood all over the carpet. We're going to have to change the carpet. What are you doing in here, man? You've got to clean up your act. You've got to stop all that bleeding all over the place. Would we, would we be upset with that victim? No. We would expect that. We would care and, and, and minister and, and welcome and like, yes, get in here, get safe, be here. I know you're bleeding, it's okay. We'll find some shout and we'll shout it out, right, or whatever we got to do. Just be safe, but get away from the guy that's trying to kill you. But too often, I'm afraid we might say, you know, you're kind of creating a mess around here. We don't. You go get cleaned up and stitched up and then come on back. we would really glad to have you then. But he, had, he was a victim, and we need to treat these people as victims. Understand that the, the enemy, the true enemy, has lied to them, deceived them, and is in the process of killing them. And this place needs a place where we welcome them and love them and care for them, no matter what mess they bring with them. Matthew, 20, Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 and 38. This is Jesus. He said, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep, Without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus is looking at these people, and their lives are a mess. And he's filled with compassion. He's filled with, because they're harassed and they're helpless. They're like sheep who the lion is getting ready to devour because there's not a shepherd to protect them and take care of them. That's our job as his under shepherds to protect those sheep that are harassed and out there in danger of being devoured by the lion. So non-Christians aren't our enemies even though we often go to war with them they are victims of our enemy. Third one we're called to shoulder others failings with care and intercession instead of Projecting an attitude of superiority and disgust. That that our job is to care about these people, to shoulder their failings. It's interesting, and and I'll let you read all of Daniel chapter 9. If you get a chance, read that. It's a big, long prayer. Most of that chapter is a big, long prayer. Daniel's praying for all of Israel and for Jerusalem. And what he says over and over that, forgive us, Lord, we have sinned. Forgive what we have done. And over and over through that prayer, Daniel, who's been this faithful servant of God Almighty, who was willing to, to go into lion's den, who was willing to you know, face the fiery furnace, who was willing to do whatever it took to honor God, is there confessing his own sin as if, as if he's one of the people who turned away from God. We have done this. We have done this. We're getting what we deserve. That's what he says. He's shouldering the responsibility of all those people, his entire country, all of them who had failed God. Daniel's shouldering that responsibility. He's interceding for them as if he's one of them. He, he doesn't even, you know, he's not praying, well, you know, God, I've been faithful. Please have mercy on all those people, all that rabble, all those all those Jewish people that's let you down. You know, I, I really wish you'd, you know, they'd be more like me, but, but you know, uh, they're not and Please be merciful to them, take care of them, look out for them. You know, no, he he counts himself right there along with them. It seems to, he seems to almost have that attitude. If but for grace, it would be I, when he's praised all throughout Daniel nine. There's another incident very similar to that, uh, not quite the exact same. He doesn't quite identify, but he certainly shoulders a responsibility in Deuteronomy. Chapter 9. Moses gets told by God, says, You you know, I see these people, they're stiff necked, stubborn people, back up. I'm going to wipe them off the place and I'm going to start over with you. And here's what Moses did So I lay prostrate before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord has said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, Oh God, do not destroy your people and your heritage. That Moses had been ridiculed, he'd been talked about, he'd been stabbed in the back. Everybody was blaming him for everything. He had tried to serve them well. He tried to lead them well. He tried to answer his call, and he was treated horribly by the people. And then he comes down. They've made the golden calf. God says, I'm going to destroy them. And I tell you, if it had been me, I'd have been like. But Moses is much more humble than I am. He throws himself on his face before the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights and prays for him. intercedes for him. He he, he, he had every every opportunity to say, I've had it with them. I've done this. I've done that. I've tried. I've been up on the mountain. I've, I've endured hardship. I've come out of hiding. I've done. I've done. I've been for Pharaoh. All I've done, and this is what we get. But yet he still throws himself, he, he shoulders that responsibility for other people's failings. And he's got compassion for them and he intercedes for them and he doesn't separate himself away from them. He doesn't, he throws himself right there in the middle of them all. And that's kind of, that's our responsibility to shoulder those failings. And that's humbling, that's hard to, to count yourself along with those people. But yet for grace, it would be I fourth mindset that we can struggle with, living and, and trying to live out. We need to understand that our faith, we need to live out our faith more than we need to defend our faith. Nowhere do you see and read Daniel trying to correct Nebuchadnezzar really. You know, like he, he doesn't try to stop him from being a pagan, but he lives out his faith, in such a way that Nebuchadnezzar comes to know who the, that there is a real God in heaven. He lives out his faith, so Darius, he lives out his faith so all the kings and all the people recognize, well, the God of Daniel's the real deal. And it's not because he's arguing, it's not because he's a great apologist, it's not because he's got all the answers to all the questions, it's not because he knows how to debate with people the best, it's because he lives out his faith. Daniel doesn't Spend his time defending God. He he gets captured, and if you remember at the beginning of the story, Nebuchadnezzar, Ethan goes into the temple and takes some of the holy artifacts, those things that were used to worship God, and takes them off and puts them in the temple of his God. You know that's a humiliating. That's a you know, and, and God doesn't seem to be particularly concerned about it because God knows who he is. He's like, I got this. And you remember those verses? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's like, I got this. You just be faithful. You just live out what I'm telling you to live out and don't worry and spend all your time and we get caught up in arguments and we get caught up and we just so want to defend ourselves we just so want to be right and we want everybody else to know we're right and so we defend our faith and argue about our faith and and and, and we instead of focusing on just being and serving in obedience I mean that's really what we're called to do obediently serve others and then let God show who's right in the end and so I wonder how often our arguing and our defending of our faith is just trying to prove ourselves right so that we can feel good about being right 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verses 24 through 26 if you're going to read one verse later this week maybe read this verse and the Lord's servant how many of you are the Lord's servants? Must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. And as Larry Osborne pointed out, he's done a deep dive in that word everyone. You know what it means? Everyone. <laughs> not just everyone inside this walls. Everyone. Everyone must be kind to everyone, even pagans, non-believers. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents, so you can be truthful, you can take a stand, you can be corrective, with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is exactly what Daniel did. He went to Nebuchadnezzar, said, There's this, something bad's going to happen to you. If you stop doing your evil, perhaps God will be merciful and take care of you instead. He patiently, honestly corrected his opponent, but did it in a gentle kind of way. So that perhaps they might come to repentance because they had been captured by who? Their enemy, the devil. They were victims and he was trying to release them from that snare to do his will. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponent with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of truth and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Finally, we must embrace this thought. Christianity is a humiliating faith because its focus is always on the other. Christianity, to be a Christian, we're supposed to always be thinking about others and never about ourselves. And so we must just say, you can't really be a Christian and not be humble. (laughs) You can't be a Christian and think about yourself. Christianity's main focus is always about the other and what's best for them, what they need, and how to protect them, how to rescue those victims, how to save them, how to care for them, how to serve them, even though they're a mess. This is what Christianity is. This is what Jesus did, as he said, I came to seek and save the lost. There's a little bit clearer information for you and I, as followers, from Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, says this Do nothing. Again, you know what the word nothing means? Nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. So why did Jesus say if you can't deny yourself you can't follow me? Because his expectation of his followers is to do everything in humility, counting others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest but also the interest of others. And it goes on, have this mind, this other focus, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the example of Christ. This is what Christians should be known for. And it takes us living in humility, making others more important, being willing to associate with everyone, to be gentle and caring for everyone, to love those other ones. And and I, I think it is when Daniel lives this kind of humble lifestyle, when he lives out his faith, this humble faith in front of everybody to see, That's when God gets praised. That's when people start to recognize, oh, the God that Daniel serves, he's the real deal. And so if we're to live and bring that kind of glory to God in Babylon that you and I live in, we have to have that same humble spirit. And God promises. That's what he cares about. And if we develop that trait, then our relationship with God will grow calls he values humility. Jesus is known as the humble, suffering servant. May we go and display him to the world.